baseball fans, welcome to Sully Baseball Daily, the podcast we talk about baseball 365 days a year. Unless it's a leap year, then we're going to do another one. I've been doing this every single day since October 24th, 2012. And I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this from a Sully baseball studio in Palo Alto, California, the birthplace of Oakland A's manager Bob Melvin, and just a line drive from Sunken Dime in the baseball home of the Stanford Cardinal. I hope you're having a wonderful holiday week. I know I'm having a wonderful time surrounded by family, and it's been it's been a year which has been a little stressful on your pal Sully and his family, and so being surrounded by the people I love is, quite frankly, heartening. I'm not going to get all sentimental right now, but I just hope you all, if, if you're in a home where you can, you know, you're, you're surrounded by loved ones and everything, then great. I, I'm happy for you. If you're not, I hope you have people in your life that you can turn to and know that you're loved and, and respected. And if not, do you know what? This is why I want you listening to me. I'm your pal, Sully. And you and I may not agree on maybe this thing or that thing, maybe a religious thing, maybe not a political thing. But if you're listening to my show now, I'm your pal. I'm your friend. I don't judge you. I'm with you right now. And I hope you can listen to this and feel like, hey, Sully's not going to judge me. He's my pal. He's someone that I could listen to every day. And no matter what, I'm going to talk about something that at least I find interesting. So I have a great holiday week listening to this podcast. And there you go. Just want to have that out there. Feeling thankful. Feeling thankful. Having a philosophical mindset today where I really believe the universe in its complexity, in its vastness, can be explained by defining it as a series of connections and reactions. Things happen, they react, things react to each other in a way that is not necessarily linear. This leads to this, leads to this, leads to this, but rather a web of linear events where sometimes we can't see where all the connections are. And sometimes things feel like, oh, there must be an order, there must be a design, but there, there really isn't. It's just so complex and so overwhelming that we sometimes don't see that the reason why something is the way it is is because it's the end of a whole chain reaction of events where we don't even remember the inciting incident and the events that even led up to that inciting incident. You know, I think about the idea of this year's World Series, and one of the things that made it great, other than the fact it was very competitive, there were several very, very good games, and Game 7 was an all-time classic game where whether or not it was the greatest baseball game of all time, it's at least in the conversation. You can at least bring it to the table and not feel foolish. But one of the things that made it great beyond the play and beyond the excitement was the fact that you had two franchises that are in their original place. 
that you can bring the, the generations of fans who are Cleveland fans, the generation of fans who are Chicago Cub fans, that these two traditional franchises that are so identified with their city and their culture, the Indians and the Cubs, Cleveland, Chicago, two old school franchises in two old school cities, that you just look at them and you go, this seems like it, it was just destined to be because of how we look at those, you know, the, the, the tradition and how they're, and how they're linked. And that, that led to the appeal of the series and led to kind of this sense of what I always talk about with baseball, whether or not it's true or not, it's the illusion of timelessness, the illusion that it takes place at the past, present, and future simultaneously. Whether or not that's real or that's bullshit doesn't matter. It's one of the things that we sell the game on. It's one of the things that we're drawn to the game because of that sense of timelessness that goes on there. And yet, things could have changed, things could have happened along the way to disrupt that timelessness, to disrupt what we see as reality. I've talked about it in the past that a lot of times there was a great competition between the American League and the National League, which is why so many cities had more than one team in it. They were both competing for the dollar. They were competing. They were Burger King and McDonald's. It wasn't Major League Baseball. It was two leagues, two damn leagues, and it meant something that you were on, am I a part of this product or part of that product? And yes, trades were eventually some sort of truce was made with the World Series, but they were two leagues. And a commissioner oversaw both of them, but it was an uneasy alliance. The World Series meant a lot. The All-Star Game meant a lot because you were trying to beat that other league. You identified one with the other. And so there were teams, multiple teams in cities to get that, to get the cash. To get that customer money. And eventually, as the lines between the two leagues blurred and the chance to make money seemed to be more prevalent by bringing a product out of the city. Okay, whichever team's going to win this city, they will, you know, I'll leave and make more money elsewhere. And you see franchises move here or there, starting in the 50s and into the 60s and the 70s and da-da-da. Well, I've said this, and I've talked about this before, that a team that should be like the Cubs, like the Red Sox, like the Cardinals, like the Yankees, like the Tigers, like the Indians, an old school team filled with great young great players and a great history and championships and dynastical blah, 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 should be the A's in Philadelphia. And the Phillies should have been the franchise that moved out. And the, the Philadelphia Athletics should be one of those great traditional franchises. But it just so happened that when these teams started to up and move, the Phillies were more profitable than the A's. And one of the reasons they, the, the A's wouldn't fire or wouldn't get Connie Mack out of there, and the team was driven into the ground, and that just happened like a lunar eclipse that the Phillies were more popular than the A's when teams started to move, and off they went to Kansas City. 
And with that, with the idea of the A's just sticking to having this old senile man running the team into the ground and not being able to do anything when they should have just pushed him out, that reluctance to do that led to the creation of the Seattle Mariners led to the creation of the Toronto Blue Jays, led to the existence of the Milwaukee Brewers, and, the, and led to one of the strangest spring trainings in the history of baseball in the 1970s. These events that took place in the 40s because they're all interconnected. One event, it's not this thing happened because of this and that's it. It could all be branched back. And it sounds strange to say that, but it's true. We don't live in vacuums. The A's, which should be the team that you identify with Philadelphia, the way you think of the Cleveland Indians, the way you think of the Detroit Tigers, up and moved to Kansas City, where they essentially became a farm team for the Yankees. It was disgraceful. And they just became a joke of a franchise. And then they were bought by Charlie Finley. Now the A's were thinking about moving to Los Angeles. They would, have, they would be the Los Angeles A's. And everyone would associate the A's with LA, but it didn't happen. The LA A's, it didn't happen. Charlie Finley bought the A's and threatened to move them to any team in creation. Any city that had a team and a, a stadium that could be filled even a little bit. Seattle was courted, Atlanta was courted, all these different places were courted, and he picked Oakland for reasons that were crazy, because Oakland, you know, gave him a deal on the stadium. He should never have gone to Oakland. He, had to sh he was already going to share the place with the, with the Giants. He should never have moved to Oakland. He should have moved to Seattle or Dallas or San Diego or some other place to have the whole market to himself, but instead he went. What does this have to do with these other teams? I'll tell you. Because Kansas City was left without a franchise. Kansas City was angry and started suing. Meanwhile, the Braves left Boston to the Red Sox. And they started making more money than they ever could dream in Milwaukee, but eventually things started going sour in Milwaukee. And there was a big push to keep the Braves in Milwaukee, led by Bud Selig in the 60s. And it didn't work. And so off the Braves went to Atlanta. Now, the city of Milwaukee truly wanted to have a team to fill the county stadium. And so what did they do? They brought the White Sox up to play several games in County Stadium to show that they were still a viable market. And they drew so much better in Milwaukee, the White Sox did, than they did in Chicago. Because Chicago was becoming a Cubs town. And maybe the Cubs would be the, the team that meant something in Chicago. The White Sox could have Milwaukee to themselves. And Bud Selig had a handshake agreement to bring the White Sox, they'd be the Milwaukee White Sox. But no, at the time, the American League and National League still were bitter rivals. And the American League did not want to give up Chicago. 
So the White Sox, who probably should have moved to Milwaukee, keep some of their fans and have that market all to themselves, stayed in Chicago, threatened to move a couple more times, and now they play in the stadium that's a mess in the south side. What does this have to do with the Mariners? I'll tell you. When the A's moved from Kansas City, there was a void in Kansas City. Remember, the A's should never have left Philadelphia. They should have been the great team of Philadelphia. It should have been the Phillies who moved. But alas, the A's moved. There was a void in Kansas City. There was talk of putting a team, you know, to having another expansion. And there was rumblings that expansion happened in 71 or 72. And one of the cities that really was thinking hard of having an expansion franchise was in Seattle. Another one was in Milwaukee. Another one was in Kansas City and a bunch of other cities. And Seattle, who tried to take the Cleveland Indians in the 60s, when the Indians couldn't draw and they were doing terribly, man, we associate the Indians with Cleveland. That was part of the charm of this World Series. Would it have had the same charm if it was the Seattle Indians? Almost happened. Almost happened. But they awarded American League franchises in Seattle. They became the Pilots. And in Kansas City, the Royals. And Kansas City was going to build a brand new stadium, which would they, they would not have built... For Finley, if Finley had just waited, he would have his brand new stadium and the A's would be the team of Kansas City. But instead, they're in Oakland and they're still miserable there. So, they were going to have a team in Kansas City in the 70s. But lawsuits and pressure politically said, no, let's push it. Let's push it and put a team in Kansas City in 1969, a couple of years ahead of schedule. That was good for KC. That was not good for the expansion team in Seattle who didn't have a stadium ready. They had six stadium outside, falling apart, minor league stadium. Read the book Ball Four by Jim Bowden. He tells about the whole season. It was a disaster. They lost all their money. They were going bankrupt. They were playing outdoors in the rain in Seattle in a minor league park that was falling apart. They couldn't draw flies. The franchise was a mess. They were going bankrupt. They didn't know what to do. All because they had to rush into it when they weren't ready because of Kansas City. Because the team left Kansas City. Because the team that should never have left Philadelphia. Because Connie Mack should have stepped down when he was becoming old and senile. All this was coming together into a head in Seattle. So what happened? Bud Selig. Remember Bud Selig? I talked about him a little bit before. He at one point was a car dealer. Eventually he became the commissioner of baseball. And there was always something a little creepy, a little shady about Bud Selig. Lest we forget he was a car dealer who later became someone who was found guilty of collusion as an owner of the Milwaukee Brewers and started a basically a coup d'etat to insert himself as the commissioner of baseball that led directly to the player strike. But now, at this point, he was just a guy in Milwaukee trying to put baseball back on the map there after failing to do so 
with the Braves and failing to do so with the White Sox. So what did he do? In the middle of a lawsuit that was going on and the bankruptcy hearing that was going on with the Seattle Pilots, it was Selig who stepped in. Now there was a, basically there was, the team had lost all of its money. And they needed financing, they couldn't get it. And then the owner of the Pilots made a deal with Bud Selig. And Bud Selig was trying to get the team to move to Milwaukee. But two senators from Washington State, and then a lot of government people started coming in, tried to raise the money to keep the pilots in Seattle. Back and forth and back and forth. And there became a, the, the pilots filed for bankruptcy and an injunction was put in that allowed them to sell the team. It's kind of shady to Selig. And possibly illegal. The team went to spring training. And there was no sense of what team they were. They went to spring training not knowing if they were, when they broke camp, if they were going to go to Seattle or to Milwaukee. And because the team had no money, and if they started missing their payments of paying the players, the entire team would have been declared free agents and the team itself would have been dissolved. Think about that. Think about what that spring training must have been like. As you're shagging flies and doing grounders, you're like, what team do I play for? My uniforms say Seattle Pilots, but we don't know if we could even pay the bills. We don't know if we're going to Seattle or if we're going to Milwaukee. We have no clue what's happening with this team. And the bankruptcy rules and the deals being made while teams filing for bankruptcy are beyond shady. And that entire spring training, there was a sense of, we don't know. We don't know where we're going. And six days, six damn days before opening day, that was declared that the team, because of the bankruptcy ruling, had been cleared by a uh, federal bankruptcy official that the pilots would not go to Seattle, but they would go to Milwaukee. They didn't have enough time to create, I mean, they just had basically sewed on brewers on blank jerseys. They had no time to build up anything, build up you know, season tickets or anything like that. It just was, okay, now you're going to Milwaukee. You were the pilots, now you're all the brewers. Well, okay, goodbye. And then the Brewers started filling that stadium. And with that, the state of Washington and the city of Seattle and all of them started suing the pants off of everybody. And, one, and basically saying, wait a minute, this was an illegal grab that this Bud Sealing character did. All because the pilots weren't ready to have a team, but they were forced to have a team. 
because Kansas City no longer had a team, because they had a team, because the A's moved there, because Connie Mack wouldn't step down. And so with all the lawsuits going on and baseball in trouble because they had already lost a bunch, they were starting to see the players gaining power. They were starting to see the reserve clause starting to crumble and the potential of free agency. And now you had the city of Seattle and the state of Washington got to pick away at their antitrust exemption unless something was done and some settlement had to be made. And so it became clear that a team had to be put in Seattle. So there was a team that was absolutely ready to go in Seattle, and that was the White Sox, the team that should have been playing in Milwaukee. And frankly, the A's should have been playing in Seattle, but now the White Sox were the white flag, and once they became the Seattle White Sox, don't worry, no one's suing for the antitrust exemption. Bill Vex said he would keep the White Sox in Chicago. Baseball said, yeah, right, if you can raise the money, fine, but you won't be able to raise the money. He raised the money. The White Sox stayed in Chicago, where they remain to this day, even though they could have played in, should have played in Milwaukee or probably should have played in Seattle, but instead they play in Chicago, where they're the afterthought to the Cubs, who beat the Indians, who almost moved to Seattle. And so, in order to avoid more lawsuits that would have challenged the baseball's antitrust exemption shortly after they lost the reserve clause fight, they paid one more settlement to the city of Seattle and said, here, we will create the Seattle Mariners. There you go. You have your team, the Mariners. And the Mariners exist because the pilots moved to Milwaukee, and the Milwaukee was open because the Braves moved to Atlanta. And the reason the pilots were able to move was because the people of Kansas City wanted to get their team faster and rushed because they lost the team to Oakland, and the reason they had the team at the beginning was because Connie Mack wouldn't step down. That's a web I just said. Not one event led to one other in a vacuum. It's all interspersed. It's all pinballs bouncing around. It's all just strange events bouncing here, moving there, things that are predictable that then sometimes collide and go in different directions. That's how the universe works. It's not a great plan. It's not a design. Things react to things because they don't exist in vacuums. Because they don't exist in a place where, oh, well, this happened, therefore this happens. No, it's complicated. It's convoluted. It's bizarre. I don't understand it nine-tenths of the time. And yet there it is. That's how the universe works. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. And we'll never understand the vastness of it. You know, we don't know where the boundaries of our universe is and what's beyond it. But what we do know is how the existence that we comprehend at this point is the sum total of all these connections and reactions. You know, a World Series between the 
Indians and Cubs can hark back to, man, these are two traditional stalwart franchises. And yet, teams could have moved and other teams could have been the stalwart franchise here or there. Had Connie Mack stepped down and had the city of Brooklyn put together a, uh, a sports center stadium in the 1950s as was proposed, then a World Series between the A's and Dodgers would be considered two stalwart franchises, Philadelphia versus Brooklyn, instead of the way it was in the 70s and 80s between Oakland and Los Angeles. Our perception of reality, what we know to be true, what we think of as tradition, what we think of as reality, is the sum total of all these. One thing changes along the way, and then we have a totally different view of reality. Of course the White Sox moved to Milwaukee. It made all the sense in the world. Of course the A's moved to Seattle. Of course the A's are the best team of Philadelphia because it goes back to the days of Connie Mack, who was a great manager until the moment, like John McGraw, he stepped down because it was time. History and the universe unfolds in ways that is connected in some way, times, the way those connections are not direct, but are required in the equation that is reality. And with that, I say, I hope you have a wonderful day with your family. And they are your family because of a chain reaction of people meeting this person and that person and marrying this person, not marrying that, have created you. You are the result of that, as is the universe. So enjoy the holidays, and God damn, I miss baseball. Go to SullyBaseball.com, like me on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram, I'm everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. Analyzing the universe here on this holiday day, this has been the Sully Baseball Daily Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.